Yeah, one of the things that I wanted to mention is the theme of communication running through these songs. Last time we talked about Delius. And I mean, that whole song and the whole backstory is about communication. When I think of All We Ever Look For, to me, that is such a song about communication. At the time, you know, when you look around other artists and you ask, you ask them, so what's your album about? You know, what's the subject of this song? It's kind of like, oh, it's about a breakup. You know, just these very standard pop song tropes that she just wasn't having anything of that. You know, she it just wasn't part of her approach. This is not one of my top 10 all-time favorite Kate Bush songs, but it is in my top 10 most underrated Kate Bush songs. When I first listened to the album, this song immediately jumped out at me as one of my favorites. And then I was pretty shocked to discover that no one ever talks about it. So here I, I am know. to talk about it because there's a lot to not say about it. It is very, is much more complex than you would think upon first listen. Welcome to Strange Phenomena, music of Kate Bush. I am Cecily Link, and this week we're going to be talking about the fourth track from Kate Bush's third album, Never Forever, called All We Ever Look For. we'll get to hear from two fans of the song count them two fans the first fan I spoke with was Zoe P who you'll remember from earlier this season and also last season and she'll be on later for talking about the wedding list the infant kiss and breathing the second fan I spoke with was Keith DeWeese who you'll remember from Delius and Oh England My Lionheart both of these fans had one thing in common and that is they love this very underappreciated song so without further ado let's get into our discussion and why they love this so much Yeah, I'm Zoe, Zoe Parison. Um, I'm Kate Fanatic, Never Forever Justice Warrior. This is not one of my top 10 all-time favorite Kate Bush songs, but it is in my top 10 most underrated Kate Bush songs. The way I first listened to all of her music was just to listen chronologically, starting from Kick Inside and going all the way to 50 Words for Snow. And when I listened to this album, this song immediately jumped out at me as one of my favorites. And then I was pretty shocked to discover that no one ever talks about it. So here I, I am know. to talk about it because there's a lot to not say about it. It is very is much more complex than you would think upon first listen. Yeah, when I went to go, like, even when I went to gaffa.org, the, the place where you can get all sorts of Kate Bush quotes and a compendium of information about her, I did not find any mentions of the song. 
at all. I saw yeah, lyrics, but funny, they're, like, for, like, nobody talking about this. Like, really? Yeah. Stuff and for, for me, it was the immediate standout. It's funny also because when I, the first time I ever listened to The Dreaming, All the Love was the, my, the immediate standout to me. And neither of these are my favorite songs on those respective albums. But it's funny because with this and then with All the Love, I was like, okay, this is this song really stood out to me. And then no one actually ever talks about them. They're mm-hmm. really underrated. So all we ever look for, so this is the fourth song. This comes after Blow Away for Bill. And in this one, we've got some we've got some interesting little production here. We've got Patty doing his oh, usual. Oh, so interesting. Like, I'm going to go play a really cool instrument. He plays a, the koto in this song. Um, we've got an acoustic guitar. We've got a timpani. And we got some wonderful use of the fair lights. Yeah, no, this song is production-wise fascinating I mean, it really just when you listen to it it sounds as if you're stepping into this otherworldly fairyland completely and that's what st- distracts you from the very dark and morbid lyrics mm-hmm. um but the production that's why it really just stuck out to, stuck out to me immediately because it just sounds so unique and ethereal well the the little whistly part it makes me think of something from of one of the final fantasy games yeah well it's actually funny like i feel like and then the dreaming more so, like there is stuff that she makes that does sound like it'd be from like video games. And mm-hmm. she has that B side from Central World Era called the Confrontation, which just sounds to me kind of like Mario Kartish. <laughs> oh yeah, I haven't listened to that. That one to in me a while. sounds like me. I, mean, I don't really listen to. I'm not a big fan. It just reminds me of like a video game soundtrack or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you get that like the the kind of whistling thing, and it sounds like oh yay woohoo, and then you get like the strings plucking under her in mm-hmm. the first verse you know and it's like dun, da, dun, da. right like, and then she says but just look and you can imagine her like standing in the forest like with some little like like the as snow wife like the seven doors like 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 singing it to them or something like but just look at you you know i know <laughs> Broadway like we've talked about in the intro episode about how some of the songs seem kind of Broadway-ish especially with her her vocal delivery and I I, I agree on this song it particularly I, I think actually I really disagree in terms of musically like I feel like the music but really the layers of sound and electronics are something are more like something that comes on the it's not like it's more pro like dreaming and like less like a straight but like vocally yes but it could be, it's, it sounds like, it, I feel like if I had different background music, it would work as a Broadway song. But the music itself, to me, is, very, is something you can very much only hear in a studio. I love the way that they used the Fairlight in the song, where they had all these yeah. different sound samples. Because I know it, it, she, she had heard about the Fairlight from, uh, from Peter Gabriel, but she turned it into her own thing and doing, oh, hey, what if I do this? What if I record this? What if I record that? She she uses a lot of different sound samples in this. Like, uh, there's, there's a, like, her, there's this, her footsteps is, 
I guess she's going across the studio floor and opening a door and there's some rock music playing and then she closes a door and then she opens another one and it sounds like it's mm-hmm. people yeah, doing yeah, you know, the Hare Krishna followers and then mm-hmm. she closes the door and then it sounds like right before it goes into the final chorus it sounds when she opens the door it almost sounds like a train or something coming or something like that yeah there's just so many there's such a wide variety of sounds mm-hmm. in this song and that's why it reminds me of that even though it sounds much more upbeat than anything on the dreaming it does feel like a companion piece from the dreaming for me because just the layers and layers upon different mm-hmm. kinds of sounds she's like kind of throwing in everything she can in there and seeing what this So I got to talk extensively about the theme and the lyrics of All We Ever Look For with both Keith and Zoe. The first person we're going to get to hear from as far as talking about the theme of the song goes is from Keith, followed by my discussion with Zoe. And here's what Keith had to say. Hello, Cecily. This is Keith Bloomfield DeWeese. And thank you again for being so generous and talking to me. And uh, I don't like making it sound like I'm off on some island, desert island here. Sometimes <laughs> uh, I do wonder, because Bostonians, they have interesting music tastes, and Kate Bush doesn't always seem to come up in conversations that I have with my friends here, but uh, I so appreciate what you're doing. It's a study that you're doing of Kate Bush's songs, and I so appreciate you letting me be part of it, and I just... I'm so looking forward to speaking to you about all we ever look for. Of course. Well, you know, thank you for taking the time on this. Uh, we're recording this on 4th of July here, this part. So thank you so much for, for, for taking the time to come on the show. Yay. Awesome. Same here. Thank you. Awesome. You know, one of the things that I wanted to mention is the theme of communication running through these songs. Last time we talked about Delius. I mean, that whole song and the whole backstory is about communication. How do we take the the kind of the grunting and the, you know, flatulating of this grumpy old man, excuse me, and turn them into something that, you know, some consider works of genius. And the, the person, the amanuensis, the, the channel for that being uh, Fenby. But when I think of all we ever look for, I just, to me, that is such a song about communication. Um, and one of the things I like about Kate is that you know, she's got this, she's, she, at the time, you know, when you look around other artists and you ask, you ask them, so what's your album about? What's your subject? You know, what's the subject of this song? It's kind of like, oh, it's about a breakup. Oh, it's about, you know, falling in love. Oh, it's about, you know, just these mm-hmm. very standard um, 
I think, pop song tropes that she just wasn't having anything of that. You know, she it just wasn't part of her approach and her artistry. Mm -hmm. And so to, you know, when you ask her, so what's the theme of this, of this album, Never Forever? And she says, communication, I think, you know, I can't remember the exact quote, how she says it, but um, then you start looking back and you go, oh my gosh, yes, it's so obvious. It's all there. You know, there's the imbabushka, there's the, you know, lack of communication between the two and then using a fictitious person to c communicate between the two people. In Delius, we have this, you know, this whole musical mm. process of communicating that has to be, you know, established between the artist and his his right-hand man um, to produce something. And then all we ever look for, and I think it's very interesting because it's kind of like two parts to me. It's the parents trying to communicate with the children, the children trying to communicate with the parents. I think of my own father um, when I think of this song. You know, I was like, well, when I was a kid, I had to, you know, walk through the snow for miles to get to school. <laughs> you know, all, mm -hmm. we all have those stories with our parents, and oh, yeah, I yeah. think. And that's so much of what it's talking about. But then, on the other side of communication, it's trying to get back to that when suddenly, when you're in your adulthood, and wanting a certain kind of communication to guide you through life. And what do you do? What are you looking for? What, how do you... How do you move forward, um, and what do you communicate with? Do you communicate with a religion or spirituality, such as, you know, we hear in the one door opening and closing, um, the Hare Krishna chanting? Do we communicate with nature and the birds? And I think, you know, in retrospect, when she opens and closes that door on, and the birds are heard, it's so prophetic so prescient you know in terms of later like with endless sky of honey and ariel and then you have the audience communicating connecting with the audience and the other door and the the, the applause so i just think it, it's it's a, a wonderful beautiful song i i interpret this as being about like the constant need to find something fulfilling in your life and just mm -hmm. for whatever reason, you're not finding it at the right time. And that feels to me like a predecessor to sat in your lap. Sat in your lap, I feel more is about the search for knowledge, whereas this I mm. feel is more about the search for fulfillment. And though, and like knowledge is a form of fulfillment. Definitely see the parallels for sure. They're both about you're searching for something that you can't seem to find. But also when sat in your lap says, you know, I want to be a lawyer, I want to be a scholar, but I really can't be bothered. She's almost given up. Whereas this is about how people keep on trying and trying. For me, yeah, I agree with you. To me, this song is about the universal sense, the, the human need to find a sense of fulfillment and completion. And not just at the right time, but like at all times. So a lot of people try to find completions through relationships. I mean, how many people do we know that the second they get a boyfriend or girlfriend, they vanish because they're like, okay, I'm good. I'm done now. Or like they find completion and fulfillment through drugs, through spirituality. Mm -hmm. There's so many different, through, through, through or, work. Through or anything. kids. Like really. 
like yeah, kids anything all like, the friends i have anything. with kids where i'm like it's like they have a kid and it's pets? like okay we're gonna see you in about 15 years <laughs> right no totally even like pets though i mean like it's i think the what the message of this song is about is that no matter you're going to feel unfulfilled and empty no matter how hard you try to use how hard you try if you're only trying to use outside sources for fulfillment mm-hmm. instead of finding instead of loving yourself and being okay with yourself. So it makes me think of her quote from 1978, where she said, at age 19, how is she this wise? The only person with you all your life is you. Your parents die. Things inside you die. Illusions, gushes of personality. Only you can sort yourself out. Yourself may not be all you need, but it's all you've got. So I think that very much like this quote, this song is saying that unless you're comfortable with yourself, you won't be able to feel truly happy and satisfied with life by chasing happiness through other means, whether it's something quote unquote healthy, like through work or unhealthy, like drugs. I like that she includes them all, all these things together, like family, like, you know, family is just as finding fulfillment through family or through another person is romanticized, but is just as, can leave you just as empty as if, if you don't really, if you aren't comfortable with yourself. I mean, like if you're in a relationship and that's what you count on to feel completed and fulfilled, what happens when the relationship ends, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah. It's, it's a bit uh, of a trick that it plays on you. I always refer to this as Kate Bush fairy music. In fact, again, I'll reference that uh, Swedish concert. And I was talking to my husband and I said, I love this song because it sounds like fairy music. This is Cape Wish fairy music. And I remember back in the 80s, terrible stereo system, listening to the album numerous times, not picking up on certain things, picking up on the lyrics. Because I used to read the lyrics, you know, like a book and try to figure them out as much as I could with the, the knowledge I had young guy but it wasn't until i got on this really good stereo system when i finally heard those little her backing vocals it was just like oh my gosh this song is becoming even more confounding in a way because you have these lyrics about regret and i mean when she says you know the whims that we're weeping for our parents would be beaten for. I mean, that sounds so very 19th century, like some rural, you know, Victoriana, you know, you want more porridge? Well, you're going to be beaten first kind of thing. Mm. And very Dickensian, I think. And, um, but I think that's part of maybe, you know, there was a conscious, you know, well, everything with Kate Bush is very thought out. And it was like, let's, Let's kind of sugarcoat this in a way. Let's make this a little bit, you know, lighthearted on the surface, but the more you dig, the deeper it gets. You know, it's just like, mm-hmm. and then suddenly you're like in this realm of going from from the womb to the grave, from the from the womb to the tomb, and these very difficult, I, I think we, we deal with this all of our lives, you know, these issues with our parents. Now, that's the first part of the song. Yeah. And, and a little bit of that Mary Poppins, you know, a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down kind of a, approach that she's taking. Um, but then you have this, like, suddenly you go off to, okay, the parents, the family unit isn't there. And what do you have left, you know? 
Do you regret, mm -hmm. as she says, you know, then regret you ever left? Do you regret it or do you try to keep, and to your point earlier about sat in your lap, trying to achieve or get back to something that maybe at the time you didn't realize was so important, but as you grow older, you realize like, oh, I need this. I, And, you know, there are different ways you can do that. And I never thought, um, I was never, you know, a drug user. Um, I didn't score. But um, when I learned that, like, that's a term for, I guess, heroin, you score some heroin or you score some cocaine or something, that I thought, oh, that's very interesting in line with, ooh, a drug. You know, you're looking for a god, a drug, just a great big hug. Um, I just find, again, that this is, you know, Kate being so multifaceted and looking at things in such a unique way. But at the same time, there's that pop hook, you know, there's that earworm that you can't get out of your head with this song. And I'm not, well, I'm not surprised that she didn't release it as a single, but if mm -hmm. she had, I, I, not that it would have been a great single, but I could have seen this being released as a single in many ways because of that lightheartedness on the surface. Um, and drawing people in. But sonically, I just love it. I just think there's just so much. And again, you have those male voices, those, ooh, ooh, mm -hmm. you know, in the background. And then her little, her twee fairy voice comes in at times. You know, like, oh, you ever look, oh, can't do it, shouldn't try. But you know what, I, you know what I'm referring yeah. to. And she again, does a lot of really awesome backing vocals on this song, oh, for sure. Oh. Exactly. And that's almost, that's what opened it up for me when I heard this on a good stereo. And I think it does follow on nicely in that, you know, after Delius, and is it, do I have the right, sequ is the sequence correct oh. or is Blow Away before that? Yeah, Blow Away, yeah, Blow okay. Away comes before this one. Okay, so Blow Away is pretty heavy. You know, it's got its own kind of like fairy music quality, mm -hmm. but... It does make me think, like, okay, now she's trying to, like, let's pull people back to a, a place of the hummable tune that, you know, people can relate to. But let's continue on with these heavy topics. Again, something I just love so much about her that she can, she, she could do that. And uh, at such mm -hmm. a young age, too. I mean, this is stuff that, I mean, talk about an old soul. When, oh, by for the time sure. you get to this, you are talking. There's a, an old soul going on here that is remarkable. I mean, uh, you, where, you, you just sit back and marvel at, like, where is she coming from? And also knowing, too, that the, the whole term, you know, but we never do score. You know, we know Kate wasn't a, a drug addict or anything. Now, I don't know if you remember this or you've come across this, Cecily, but mm -hmm. a couple of years ago there was an article that came out that I don't even know, now I can't remember all the details of it, you can look it up, but that Kate Bush at some point was like maybe evaluated at school as having tendencies for hooliganism. And, you know, it's just kind of, it is a bit hard to um, imagine her as a hooligan or having this vocabulary of, you know, drug references in a way. And I know in 
man with the child in his eyes, you know, I just took a trip on my love for him. And the, the Saturday Night Live performance where she puts out her arm and kind of in that gesture. Now, I, I am not saying that's what that is. In fact, I think sometimes people maybe read into this. I, I, I would probably like defend her to the nth degree that she was not a drug user except maybe, you know, pot or something. Like I just find it fascinating that she knows, she knew kind of like the vernacular of that, that you know, she knows these terms and consciously, you know, again, knowing her perfectionism and knowing how she writes or, you know, the, finding just the right word uses those terms. But she's also talking about things where, you know, they have an addictive quality. We are, in a way, addicted to the love we get from our parents or we have withdrawal, you know, when our parents, excuse me, don't give us something or, you know, later in life we find out that we needed something and we don't have it. And Lord knows so many people go down dark roads because of that. Um, what mm-hmm. they what they experienced early on. So again, um, just so much more than the surface, uh, you know, kind of fairy music. When I first got in contact with Zoe P, she immediately put her hand up for a discussion of all we ever look for. Zoe studied psychology when she was in college and as such has a lot to say about the psychology that Kate has touched on in these lyrics for all we ever look for. So here's what she had to say. So I'm a nerd. I was an English major but focused on literary criticism, so really using different critical lenses to think about cultural studies mostly. So I was really into psychoanalytic theory. We'll talk about this more when we dig into the lyrics. I'm going to get obscure on y'all. There's a French philosopher, Jacques Lacan, and psychoanalyst. I'm just going to explain this in like the most 101 terms ever, so like... Mm-hmm. Sorry to my all my great professors, but um, oh, good. basically he has a concept of the mirror phase, which is the, and like the phallic mother. So that is about the phallic mother is basically this idea that the infant, who was usually a he, doesn't really talk things about little girls, infant sucks on the mother's breast. This also doesn't consider people who don't breastfeed, but anyways, the infant sucks on the mother's breast, and because they receive nourishment and life from their mother, they feel complete when they're as a unit with the mother. So that's pre-mirror phase child. Um, the mirror phase is when the child is held upright and sees itself in the mirror for the first time. And there's a phrase, I can't remember that phrase, but basically recognizes that that I am an individual separate being. But when what the child sees in the mirror and the male child, is, I think that this is especially interesting in terms of thinking about masculinity. Mm-hmm. But basically, you spend the rest of your life trying to be that image, that idealized self in the mirror, because what you really are, the ba- like, that you have the mother holding you up in the mirror. You're not actually <laughs> doing that yourself. So what you see up there is an idealized version of yourself, but you're still the helpless infant who needs their mother. Mm-hmm. But then people throughout the rest of their lives, and I think as, as someone who is 
a therapist professionally, I think men in particular, they spend their lives trying to be an idealized version of themselves, especially now with social media. I mean, that's like, it is like a mirror phase. Like you can see, like seeing yourself reflected, but especially with machismo and like, I'm being macho, it's like, oh, look, I'm independent. I'm strong. When really you're still helpless. You're so basically this song is kind of talking out wanting to return to the pre-mirror stage phase of in perfect unison and being one unit with the mother because that's the only time in one's life that one is actually complete and has a sense of completion and being part of a unit in a meaningful way which is not universally true because that's it's it's called Bacanian theory it's called theory for a reason it's just a theory but it is one that I think this song really touches a lot upon is basically about so yeah leave the breast and then the rest and then regret you ever left like Jacques Lacan could have written that it's Hmm. basically saying that like once you're separated from the mother and so the reason old phallus mother this is again just obscure stuff sorry for boring the audience or (laughs) like freaking them out because it's weird but this like comes to the phallus mother is that the infant thinks that the mother possesses the phallus which doesn't even necessarily mean the penis the phallus is a Mm -hmm. signifier which includes the penis, but like is basically a signifier for power because an omnipotent. So basically the phallus mother is this omnipotent figure that is able to provide nourishment and fulfillment at all times. And so once the baby realizes that the mother does not possess the phallus, which this is also all very based cisgender inclusive, mm-hmm. once the baby realizes the mother does not have a phallus, in, in psychoanalytic theory, the thought is they like kind of separate them. They, they, they then like, isolate themselves they like oh the mother is weak and bad and they then kind of spend their life trying to like gain phallic power which explains that's why i like lacanian theory i think it explains a lot about masculine culture but they're really the only time of happiness in life was when you were bound to your to the mother in what he calls a symbiotic in the symbiotic way so i think that is kind of what this song is about is trying it's like acknowledging that once you realize the mother does not have the phallus and then that kind of like your idea of what your strengths were and what yourself was was a, based on a lie, you're kind of shattered and you need to find a way to feel complete. And that sometimes is never going to be accomplished. Psychoanalysis 101. In college, I, in college, I used to be kind of like an unofficial account tutor because like he, his writing is really, really dense and hard to read. But I just got lucky that my professor, my, my favorite professor, who's a Henry James scholar, who up that comes up for the mm-hmm. infant kiss although she said that Kate Bush hurts her ears but I will allow her that because um she's really into like blues music so she doesn't the opposite type of music so she like mentored me in this so like I just knew a lot about it and kind of like got it whenever people in the intro classes would take it they would like come to me for like McCain 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 mm-hmm. tutoring <laughs> <Basically>. <laughs> I'm really nerdy about it I love it part of me wanted to become some sort of psychologist because I the more older I get the more fascinated I become with the complexities of the human mind. Oh, yeah. And thinking about how we're all, not everybody is all bad, not everybody is all good. We're all just in the middle and we're all just kind of trying to figure out who we are. And unfortunately, like a lot of people don't have a, a they have a lack of self-awareness. Like they don't think mm-hmm. that they do anything wrong all the time, and but that's just part of being human. Ah, like, and that there's well, still you can do what so I did much. Grad <laughs> and there's just so much still that we don't know. We understand more about what's in the oceans than we do about the human mind sometimes. Definitely, that's a good point, and and a very good one considering that Kate Bush writes about water a lot. 
So Indeed. well played. Completely unintentional, but that was really cool how that came out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, her main motif are right at water and writing about flying. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So in addition to talking about the psychology present in the lyrics for All We Ever Look For, Zoe and I also got to talk about what other people have said about this song, including reviewers and even Kate herself. And here's what we had to say about what others have said about this song. So she's actually talked quite a bit about this song, which was cool, uh, more than what I've heard from other people. Um... She says uh, this was from the Sunday Times in 1980. Um, you had put in here that there's definitely some don't give up foreshadowing. Um, <laughs> yeah, it did, yeah, it does sound like foreshadowing for her collaboration with Peter Gabriel, yep. don't give up. Uh, one of my new songs, All We Ever Look For, it's not about me. It's about family relationships generally. Our parents get beaten physically. We get beaten psychologically. The last line, all we ever look for, but we never did score. Well, that's the way it is. You do get faced sometimes with futile situations. But the answer is not to kill yourself. You have to accept it. You have to cope with it. Um, she also says, um, all we ever look for is about how we seek something, but in the wrong way or at the wrong times, so it is never found little blurb she did for the Kate Bush Club newsletter, number seven in 1980. I, I wish she still wrote those newsletters. She's like, here's what I planted in the garden today. Here's what I baked. <laughs> I know. She really doesn't. I, I wish. I, I it's okay, wish though. I, yeah. At least she did. Okay. At least she used to do this kind of stuff. So we have all sorts of things we can, we can, uh, we can look at what she said, which is awesome. Because I just love looking into like the artist's heads. Like, why were you thinking this? Mm-hmm. How did you come up with this? From the article Among the Bushes from Record Mirror, uh, published in 1980. Um, I know, Among the Bushes. Uh, She says in an interview, all we ever look for, another title as it happens, is God in inverted commas. And as much as it's something you believe in. Belief is motivation. And without that, you don't do anything. I mean, if your God is to have a husband and children and you actually fulfill that, many people don't see the thing they love and believe in as God. Most of us aren't happy, really. And it's only because our God is incomplete. And the interview says, and work is your God. And she says, it is really, yes, as everything in my life goes into my music. Everything that happens to me affects me, and it comes out in my music. If I did become perfect and was no longer vulnerable, perhaps I wouldn't get the same shocks of emotion that make me want to write. Wow. Yeah, I think for her, which is all your book for a drug, a hug, whatever, for her would be my work. I mean, and I love that Nephew also have quoted the infamous Zort Finkel in Trio. Oh, my God. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, this was something I found from another Kate Bush forum where they were kind of oh man going through like topics song by song, and somebody put it put this in here, and I wasn't quite sure whether to include it in the notes, but it's interesting to oh, read. It's something every Kate Bush fan should know about. So Kate in this 1987 interview, she interviewed herself, but posing as a fake cousin named Zort Finkel. And oh. Oh, you didn't know that? No, I didn't. I am learning new things. No, today. <laughs> no, that's actually her. She's literally no. It's 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 Zort Finkel is her. She's interviewing her. I think this after Night Sight, she's like, yeah, I'm not letting anyone interview me again. So Zort Finkel, she invented and interviewed herself, and here is one of the questions and answers. And that's why he calls her Katie. It's like it's this. It's like a. It's a whole interview is like a joke, kind of. 
Oh my god! But she no says some insightful things, but no, but that's amongst like the hardcore fans. It's a very infamous. Zort Finkel's very infinite, like uh, very funny. Well, I guess we'll have to read this then, because whoa, that is just too cool. Um, so yeah. she asks herself, <laughs> "Would you say yeah. that music is something religious, even holy, to you?" And Katie says. Uh, some of the most beautiful music ever was written for God. For a loved one in a state of grief, sorrow, suppression, it seems to be an expression from a person on a higher level. I'm not sure I understand it all, but music seems to come out of people when very little else can. Some of the great composers wrote beautiful music, but his people were monsters or maniacs. People who can't speak properly because of stutters can sing fluently. I saw a clip from a program about a man who only had a short-term memory. He couldn't remember anything. What he just said, just done. He lived in a constant state of panic because he didn't know where he was or why he was there. It was terrifying. The only thing he could remember was his wife. And when he sat at the church organ at his local church, he could sing and play complete pieces of music without any problems. It was like he'd suddenly been set free. And yet when he was shown a video recording of him doing this, he had no memory of it whatsoever. Music is a strange and beautiful thing. It means a great deal to me. I love listening to and making music. I am very lucky to be able to be involved with music. I hope I always will be. Oh. That's interesting because it's almost putting, like in terms of all we ever look for, she's listing the different things that people use for fulfillment, and that's talking about music as a source of fulfillment. And for me, I've been thinking a lot recently in the last few months about personally, the arts, arch, I've been an atheist since I could think. Like, I never believed in God, everyone mm-hmm. else, even when I was like, little. So I realized that music is for me, and not music, all the, all the arts, film too, are, are to me what religion and spirituality are to other people. And mm-hmm. that was kind of a profound revelation. Like I, like, I call Kate Bush God and stuff, you know. So I think we all kind of use some sort of outside source to feel complete, whether that's spiritual. And if you don't have spirituality, which is kind of the most, or religion, which is usually the most common way, um, then you kind of have to find something else. And for me, that's in the art. For some people, it could be like, I, I know some people who, who are about authors the way I am about music. I'm with you. Like a lot of what yeah. I find is through music. I, I have a huge library. I have 11,000 songs in my iTunes library and I'm wow. constantly adding new things. Yeah. I've always had a huge music collection. I listen to the same things over and over. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'll do that if I have like a particular favorite. Like I had some albums I listened to last year before I started this project that I just played and played and played. I played them while I was in the car. I played them while I was making food. I played them while I was sewing and just doing everything. And even though I have 11,000 songs, which there's, there are a couple of ones that I always go back to thinking about the world. I find it mostly through art. And though Mm -hmm. I consider myself Christian, I find like my, my beliefs are about that are very different from the people I work with. And so like, Mm -hmm. I sometimes find like, fulfillment through that but not all the time graham thompson didn't mention the song really in in his biography under the ivy but in another book i found it was called uh kate bush and hounds of love it was by this guy named dr ron moy i know nothing about it except that he wrote this book and it was available digital version so i went oh hey cool uh he says all we ever look for is a fine companion piece to the previous track Again, dealing with the sweet yearnings of desire and regret. As a lyricist, Kate Bush seems to possess the consummate skill to present barbed words, expressing sentiments bordering on the cruel and vindictive, but with a sense of ambiguity that renders them complex and fully rounded. Whilst it is suggested that our parents may envy their children's lives, 
and the children may often want nothing more than to return from whence they came, the overall impression of generational relationships is one of ambiguity and complexity, grounded in the reality that lives and personalities are never wholly good or bad, yet always worth working on. The cup of life is half full in this artist's world. This narrative is built upon a bed of instrumental textures and samples that are hugely varied in terms of pitch and timber. Particularly delicious is the synth whistle melodic counterpart and also the stereo panning of found sounds, running footsteps, doors opening and closing, bird song, applause, that punctuates the latter part of the song and contributes to a consummate arrangement. I forgot about the bird song. I was just listening to this while I was making my sandwich for, for lunch before we talked. Yeah. And I thought, Always oh, yeah, bird, bird song. song. Hey, that's like on Ariel, man. Yeah, and Nice Swallow where she's impersonating a bird. Mm. Mm-hmm. So that's what others have said about the song. I haven't, like we've kind of talked about the beginning of this episode, not many people have talked about this song, which is kind of unfortunate really yeah well that's what our job is indeed going through song by song really digging in here so in addition to talking about our personal thoughts on the song and even going into the production of All We Ever Look For. With both Keith and Zoe, we spoke extensively about favorite lyrics and other little tidbits about the song that make it stand out for us. When I talked with Keith, we spoke extensively about a particular lyric later in the song where she says, All We Ever Look For, Oh La Lune. And with Keith, we were speculating about why she might have chosen to sing it in French and why even have that lyric at all. Here's what we had to say. I guess. And I, I have for to sure. say, too, yeah, I was just in Cornwall for a week and um, I happen to be somebody who, not going to say I believe in fairies, but I love the whole, I love the whole folklore behind them and this, like, what were people talking about? What were they trying to get at? And in Kate Bush, you have this person who is, in a way, she translates that or she's channel, channeling a certain kind of, um, I guess, like old way of thinking about things. And again, it goes back to that line I was saying about the, you know, and it's, it's kind of shocking because you don't have... Kate Bush doesn't talk about people being beaten very often or anything, but Mm -hmm. in this you have that whole, and she's right, you know, in another age, another time when beliefs were different, when, you know, just being tough and toughening yourself up was what you had to do. She understands that. There's a sympathy there, and I think that's what always attracts me to her work. There's sympathy and there's empathy. She seems to be one of the most empathic, of artists you know there are just so few Tori Amos I think is one you know Mm -hmm. aside from her then you have but you know this is not a common quality that you find and and I don't even I hate when Kate is lumped into the whole realm of like when people call her a pop artist because I think she defined she carved out something different and Mm -hmm. I lately I tend to refer to her as a prog artist um and Mm -hmm. again 
You know, it's just that she has that, that empathy is coming through. And there's no, in the song too, it's a no, no judgment zone, you know, that she's conveying. It's like, you do what you have to do. You, you know, good or bad, whatever the result is, that's, you know, between you and destiny. But um, it can be a God, it can be a drug, it can be a big, great big hug um, at the end of the day. But whatever gets you through, gets you through. And mm -hmm. um, just know, I think, the communication aspect there is that just know that we're all kind of going through this. And, you know, again, you're not being judged. You just find the path that works for you. If it kills you, it kills you. If it doesn't, good for you. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean... <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm just looking at the lyrics here again, and I'm... I'm struck by a couple of lines in particular, like uh, all we ever look for another womb, all we ever look for our own tomb and all we ever look for. Oh, la lune. I love that she incorporated a little bit of French. Thank you. Yes, because I had thought of that. And I was wondering, like, again. OK, so I'm thinking. So the reason so the reason I think she I think here with why she might say have la lune I don't I don't know how far back this this little expression dates or if it if it's just like something I just I thought was an old phrase that but it actually isn't because it got face passed around on Facebook like uh, what like shoot for the moon if you don't then you'll land among the stars or something so I'm thinking of I wonder if she put in like like you know all we ever look for la lune like we're trying to shoot for the moon we're trying to to go for something that's like impossible or well, I mean, at that time, they had walked on the moon, had been walking on the moon for over 10 years. But maybe that's supposed to be a reference to like shooting for the moon. Like you're, you're trying to just find the thing that's going to fulfill your life. Got it. Yes. And, you know, I think my, my take on it, well, what, what actually confuses me, and I'm so glad because I didn't, th that was going to escape me, the l loon part, because... I, I, it would be so easy to put in the moon. You know, the, 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 the rhyme is there. It would mm -hmm. work just to say the moon. But why does she pick a f the French way of saying that? That's what intrigues me. Mm. And is it, um, ooh, la lune. Does it go back again to trying to get at something that's so old, um, getting to, you know, and kind of like thinking about Delius and the whole mythological aspect, like bringing that in, starting to draw in oh. this whole idea of, you know, well, before we, we said, because in Latin, you've got the lunar, I don't, I'm not sure if it's Latin, to be honest, it could be Greek. No, lunar is is from Latin. Exactly. Yep. So let's bring that in to show to to, to have that trajectory from a very ancient um, way of saying something, and again in a way that people can understand. It's not you know you can have rudimentary background in French to understand that, but she didn't say you know, the moon. You know, there were so many times that critics back in the day just thought she was the most pretentious, hollow creature, let's say that. Um, even John Peel, and I, I'm like, was always so disappointed in the way he approached her, 
and thought of her. You know, I think it was because there was just this, okay, here's music. You're, it's, it's pop music. You shouldn't be thinking about it. You should just be dancing to it. It's got a great beat. And, you know, you, you don't take it seriously, even though, of course, music critics, journalists are making big money. Well, not all the time, but some of the more prominent ones. You know, it's this kind of like dichotomy about like, okay, here's this this woman and who does she think she is? She's using these fancy words and everything. And But at the same time, this is just, you know, a pop record. And which starts to make me think like, okay, critic, why are you even in this business if you're not going to be open to this and accept the fact that she's just used this? There's got to be a reason for this choice of words um, or this choice of using the French. But I can also see why, like, then that becomes, oh, she's pretentious. I, I just never find pretense in Kate Bush. And I think that's what frustrates me because in a song like this, you could say, ooh, la lune, you know, it's, it's pretentious or something. But I just don't see it. I just think there was a reason. I don't know what the reason is why she used mm-hmm. instead of saying, ooh, the moon. Um, but, and all I can think of is that trajectory, of course, going back to more, um, you know, an, like much older, like the Latin. So I guess that's yeah. all I'll say on that. I, I just, um, and let, let's just also mention that when you say you know you're looking for something the moon what are you saying what what does that mean when you're you know looking for the moon is it are you maybe being drawn toward the mad side of yourself is it being drawn toward the huntress you know feminine side the the Mm -hmm. diana artemis side of yourself what does that mean are you being drawn by the tides? You know, are you looking for this? Is it the period, the woman's menstrual mm-hmm. cycle, that, not that you're drawn to that, but that is impacting what you look for? So I just, yeah. and I can't believe that I didn't, like, going into this, like, really spend more time on that because I've actually thought about it so many times in the shower. Like, why does she sing it in French? And, <laughs> Rather than just saying, ooh, the moon. Um, And she probably liked the sound of it. I know she does like to pick words simply because of the sound, like like babushka, for example. And it just babushka happens to have this multi-layered meaning to it. It could be a headdress. It could be a grandmother it can be like it reminds you of like the the matroshka doll where you have like you open it up and lots of little things inside and everything's not quite as it seems so she could have picked it because of the sound of the of the word or she thought it sounded a little bit more high fancy to to put it in french because i know french still has that kind of allure for non-French speakers that, oh, it's in French. Ooh, that just sounds so fancy. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. Or maybe a little dig, it could have been chosen in French because it's a little subtle dig at 
all the different critics who have called her pretentious and stupid, even though they would never say that about a male artist. Okay, well, is David Bowie pretentious? Then what the hell's wrong with you? But I digress. No, no, no. I am totally with you. And that's a lot of what I was getting at. You know, it's like, thank you for saying that because I feel the same way. It's like, oh, you know, if, like you say, Bowie or Brian Ferry or, you know, Mark Bolin, mm -hmm. it would be one thing. But when Kate does it, it becomes a point of contention and she's, you know, just trying to put on airs or something. But um, yeah, I don't know. Just... All I can say is I love French. Now, to your extent, I'm not a, I, I would say I'm a Francophile, but just in another life, I was much more immersed in it. But I, I just hear it and I think, yeah, that's what it is. You know, it's like, it's, her expressing herself and in a way that she felt was appropriate for the song. So, Indeed. Indeed. Lovely. Now here's what Zoe and I had to say when we talked about the lyrics. So uh, I guess we'll start digging into the lyrics. I've got a lot of favorite lyrical moments. The part I enjoy the most of this song is the last chorus where she says, all we ever look for a god, all we ever look for, ooh, a drug, all we ever look for, a great big hug, all we ever look for, a little bit of you, all we ever look for, a little bit of you too, all we ever look for, but we never do score. encapsulates everything about this song people just trying to find something to fulfill their lives it's whether you know you're trying to find it either through religion or stimulants or even just in general like feeling close with somebody like with a great big hug that could be a it could be friendship it could be love it could be just just like like general closeness with somebody it makes me think in a way of uh, reaching out <laughs> way later on the yeah. sexual world where you know, reaching out for the hand that's reaching out for the hand, reaching out for the hand that smacks. Like you're just kind of like looking for things and just never finding it at the right time or even at all. And it was all just a matter of timing and just things didn't work out. Just everything mm -hmm. in the whole theme of this song right there in that last chorus. And it's, it's like just these little phrases and they mean so much. I love it. Yeah, same, so much. Um, yeah, I agree with you. I think it's like the last stanza is really the key to the song, encapsulates its all its whole meaning. And it's that not only is it a matter of bad timing might prevent you from feeling fulfilled, you might never feel fulfilled at all if you're not happy with yourself and need outside things to complete you. Like like the, the, the lyrics I had before, um, I'm a really big fan of leave the breast and then the rest and then regret mm -hmm. you ever left. And 
which is all we ever look for another womb. Those are that's very dark. So it almost alludes to suicidal, not on her part, but just in general, like suicidal ideation is saying, I wish I was, people say, I wish I was never born, you know, like, yeah. um, like I want to go back to the womb. Um, and so you need to retreat back into infancy or even non-existence to feel happy, which re- reflects the Freudian idea of death drive, mm-hmm. that we seek out self-annihilation. It also reminds me, and I, I hate to be that person who's just always bringing up other female artists, talking to female artists, because they're all the same. That's not true. But one of my all-time favorite lyrics I always think of when I hear this is from the song Divers by Duane Newsom, who I think is the best lyricist out there, better than Kate Bush. In the song Divers, there's a line where she says, Tell me why is the pain of birth lighter born than the pain of death? So that's a really eloquent way of basically mm. saying being alive sucks. <laughs> um, so most, much of psychoanalysis, psychoanalysis theory, and particularly the Lacanian stuff I referred to before, is about the human drive to return to the womb because it's the one place you felt safe and comfortable. And once you leave the breast in the womb, you're stranded on your own and don't have the nourishment or the mm-hmm. mother of the mother to fulfill you. So throughout our lives, we're seeking that fulfillment that we had in early childhood, but by losing ourselves in other people or in hobbies. And mm-hmm. and I relate to that very much in terms of my my passion for the arts and like my like look at example number one my obsession with Kate Bush is like me immersing myself in something in order to like feel satisfied and happy you know like and Kate is a very spiritual figure like for me she is a very spiritual figure although I don't blindly worship her I'll point out her faults for example like all we ever look for a great big hug that I mean it's a corny line it makes me laugh Mm-hmm. But the thing is, it's also totally accurate because human beings need physical contact and human interaction in order to feel complete and happy a lot of the time. And even though she phrases it in a cutesy and kind of corny way, the idea that she's getting that is really raw and really real. I read something a couple months ago, and it was about how the the fact that we've become more technologically dependent means that people that there's been there's a rise in people being clinically depressed because you're not getting that like physicality with people like interacting with people in on the internet and whatnot but you're not getting to know your neighbors and and getting to like go physically out and see people and so that's making people become more depressed my two closest friends don't live in the same city as me so I'm not able to have like the young person and that makes me more depressed a lot of the time well not not their friendship but like the fact that I can't be with them like hang like like I want to go like I'm speaking to Joanna Newsom for example my best friend is as passionate about her as I am and when I got to see her live, my best friend couldn't come with me because she lives in another state, you know, so that mm-hmm. it makes it which made me really sad. So, yes, that's absolutely true. I, I've got a friend in France. I've got my friend Valerie in Australia now. I've got my friend Sharon in California and I've got other friends that just don't live in this area. And so, like, I, I sometimes feel a little bit sad, but I just try my best to, like, get out and I'll do karaoke nights or I'll go do other things yeah. to because I like music oh well this helps me find mm-hmm. some sort of fulfillment and enjoyment or I or also I'll find it through crochet right. I love to crochet because it's this whole act of creating things and I just I love being able to do that and yeah so that's uh that's yeah, my I'm fulfillment gonna... that I find and then another lyric I really loved is um all the about she's talking about parents and mm-hmm. she says all they ever want for you are the things they didn't do like all they really want for you all the things they didn't do. Yeah. 
Because, like, basically for myself and many people whose parents pressure them into doing what they think their children should do, but don't care about their children's real needs as people. I think a lot of parents, they love their children in the sense of, like, oh, they're my child. That's a responsibility. They don't actually care about them as people and just pressure them into doing into like living out what they think is right for them, what the parents think is right for them and Kate Bush really touches on that here which is funny because her parents were so great and supportive about her musical career yeah but she is still able to notice that it still happens anyway hi and, mom and dad and, <laughs> <laughs> well and sometimes they, I mean it could be like oh well uh, the dad wanted you wanted to be a football player, and so he's going to pressure his son into to football. Or it could just be other things like, um, like if you've got a parent who went through, like uh, if you have a parent who went through an eating disorder, and so they do everything they can yeah. to make sure that their their kids are well adjusted and with who they are in their body image, so right. that they don't make the same mistakes that they did with with binging or purging or anything like you're that you're right yeah it could go either way but all they ever want for you are things they didn't do no no i was gonna say you said you were gonna say this song is like grown on you yeah this song really had to grow on me i i liked it when i first heard it but i never really stopped to listen to the lyrics because i was so caught up in the way that it just shifts like the way that the pit the the strings are kind of pizzicato over the first verse and then it suddenly goes into it. I know it, it's, there is no harpsichord in this song, but it sounds like a harpsichord kind of thing behind her when she goes into the, all they ever really want was, or the things that they didn't do right before it goes in mm-hmm. the, before it goes to the chorus. Um, I was just kind of caught up in that. And then also the, the, the different found sounds and I never really stopped to listen to the lyrics. And I, I do remember mm-hmm. really, I remember that that whistling thing made me think of final, like a Final Fantasy game. I keep thinking of like the Chocobos or something like that in the game. Yeah. But it, it, does, it sounds kind of cutesy. But once I, when I really started digging into this for the show, I go, ah, this is interesting. Like. That whole first verse we were talking about, or the leave the, the verse about leave the breasts and then the rest, and then forget you ever left. Mm-hmm. It's just she's just, yeah. She has so much it, meaning in just little little lines, and I find that really intriguing about this song. Yeah, and I yeah, I like how you pointed out with the first verse and first chorus that family expectations. Mm-hmm. and people wanted children they couldn't be but it doesn't happen it's interesting because she said explicitly before the song's not about me but she says me I'm just another like my brothers and I always I always thought of her her relationship with her brothers whenever I hear that line mm-hmm. because it's, it, she doesn't say me and my if it's not about her she says me and my sister I mean I, I don't think she's writing about herself but um but I think it's interesting that she automatically went to brothers because of her very close relationship with her brothers who pretty much formed everything about her musical taste and everything about her as a person, really. Um, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. So it's uh, interesting. It's like, I'm just another, like my brothers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not my sisters, like my brothers. Yeah. Or my siblings or something. Uh, no, my comrades. Yeah. <laughs> <Communist> <laughs> <Kate>. <laughs> that would be like a good Twitter account, like communist Kate Bush, like making her lyrics, like fake, like, fake communist I can oh, do that wow. that would be interesting <laughs> <laughs> so comrade Kate can we call my Kate yeah 
So yeah, this, this really, but this one really grew on me. And and the more I listen to it now, the more I really like it. And I think it's, I I think it's, I I agree with the the guy that who wrote about this in Kate Bush and Hounds of Love that she has this way of taking very complex emotions that could be considered as he said cruel and vindictive but he just there's just something about it that that makes it very complex and I find that very Mm -hmm. interesting with the song yeah definitely agree it's funny because like for you as a grower and for me I am it just immediately jumped out I immediately Mm -hmm. was like this is definitely one of the best songs on this album and I I don't even know if it's one of my like it's definitely not like top three on the album, but I really love it, and it's just from the beginning. So it's funny because for a lot of other people, it's more of a grower. And it's as I said, it's in my top ten most underrated. Like like with Full House, it's definitely not. Mm-hmm. I would not say it's one of my top ten Kate songs, but it's in the top ten underrated Kate songs. I'm just really in love. Well, originally I didn't even notice the lyrics, kind of like you. I just was in love with like this fairy tale land thing, and and just with her vocal delivery, especially just the way it opens, it's just look, like, the mm-hmm. way she sings that, the, the just look, is. I hope you can clip it, but it's so powerful, she just draws you in, and I will find myself when listening to this song, just rewinding back to hear her say that over and over and over, just, I love the way, it's such a great vocal moment. Just look! Because it's strong, but it's also really startling. Like, there's the opening of, like, it's like, Wuthering Heights, the opening is very <laughs> startling. What? What? But this is more like a strong startle. Like, startling in a more, like, powerhouse kind of way. As in a, like, mm-hmm. the fuck is that kind of way. Um, which I don't mean in a bad way, but Wuthering Heights. I love Wuthering Heights. Um, so, it just grabbed, so it just grabbed me from that. And then I fell, once I actually looked at the lyrics, I really fell in love with the juxtaposition between the happy sounding music and the dark lyrics and the musical composition and also the musical composition is extremely dense. And I think that comparing it to sat in your lap as you did is a really good comparison in terms of both subject matter and in terms of the dense musical density and layering of different sounds. So I know it's been a while since I played any cover versions of Kate's songs on these episodes. I stopped doing them because honestly, I can't really find many cover versions that are very good. And well, I'd rather just talk with people about the song and get their personal anecdotes and things. Later in, say, the Hounds of Love season, I might include some clips of various other covers of her songs. But I kind of want to stick to the discussion of the song for now. However... There is one cover version that I want to play of All We Ever Look For. And it's not just any cover version. It's a symphonic cover version. To celebrate the 40th anniversary of the Gothenburg Symphony in Sweden, the Gothenburg Symphony put on a show called This Woman's Work, a tribute to Kate Bush, which was performed for a live audience, filmed, and put on their Vimeo page. I'm going to include a link to it in the show notes. I do want to mention that it is supposed to be taken offline at the end of July. So by the time this episode comes out, it's supposedly not going to be up there. However, I'm going to include a link just in case by some fluke. It is still up there. And I thoroughly enjoyed watching this show because I got to hear all sorts of Kate Bush songs, including this week's song. 
And just hearing them interpreted in a symphonic way, I thought really brought out just how well written her songs are. And especially on this one, like it totally works, I think, as a symphonic arrangement. And the vocals on this version are done by Jenny Abramson. And also during the show, it is worth noting that other songs were sung by another woman named Malin Dahlstrom. But this one is done by Jenny Abramson with the Gothenburg Symphony for this woman's work, a tribute to Kate Bush. So here we go. Here it is. Yeah, I think I'm one of those people who just wants a great big hug, Cecily. Oh, yeah. I I think everybody always wants a hug. I always want hugs. I love giving hugs. Me too. Me too. I just like a hug at the end of the day or at the beginning of the day or any time in between is just, it it makes things so worthwhile. It really does. You know, thank you for taking the time on this. uh, We're recording this on 4th of July here, this part. So, thank you so much for, for for taking the time to come on the show. Yay, awesome. Same here. Thank you, awesome. And Cecily, thank you again. It's been great speaking with you. I'm going to let you go. I need to go and start uh, taking in the fireworks. And um, it's just been delightful, as always, talking to you. Mm-hmm. 
Thank Same you. Here. Well, thank you so much for, for being here to talk about all we ever look for. Yay. Always great to talk yeah. to you. I'm happy. I'm happy to talk about this song anytime. It's so underrated and my little baby that I love. <laughs> Indeed. If you have a favorite Kate Bush song or even a couple songs that you would love to talk about on a future episode, or you know something about this week's song that we didn't get to, then here's where you can contact me. You can either tweet at me at StrangeKateCast. You can find me on Facebook, facebook.com slash Kate Bush Podcast. And you can also email me, kbcast at linkmedia.com. That is link with an E. Oh, and also uh, we're at kbcast.linkmedia.com. Again, link with an E. So join us next week when I get to make another transatlantic call like I did earlier this season. And this time I get to call Serbia to talk with a fan about Egypt. We'll see everybody then. I was working, um, it was my first uh, year in university, and I had a summer internship in Chicago, working with elderly people in the inner city. I was staying with the directors of this organization, and I'll give a little plug for them because they're incredible. They're called Little Brothers of the Poor. Uh, had such an enjoyable time working for them, and when I was hanging out in Chicago, I had access to this Oh my God, this super high-end like Bose, Bose, Booza stereo system. And I remember running down, like going to this record store, buying this album and going back and listening to it. I had the headphones on, I'm kicking back in the chair all by myself and really grooving on this song, not quite getting it yet, reading the lyrics, but all of a sudden, when the whole part with the walking, the footsteps, and mm -hmm. the doors slamming, I flew out of my chair while I was listening because I thought somebody was actually coming into the room. <laughs> I thought my little, like, you know, trip into fairyland was being literally like really disrupted by somebody coming into the apartment and mm -hmm. when I stopped and suddenly looked around there was nobody there <laughs> and realized it was the music it was just mm -hmm. like oh my gosh I'm even more how could I be more in love with an artist and when I say love I don't mean you know I you, you know where I'm coming from I mean like how mm -hmm. could I so appreciate you know where someone's coming from and of course at that point, I didn't know she was, yeah, in the liner notes, she refers to the fair light and Peter Gabriel opening the windows and stuff like that, mm. but didn't know what that really meant. And all I knew is that I had never heard anything like this before. And it really, literally made me, you know, stand up. It was, it threw me. And to this day, this song has such a special place. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.